Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police are a symbol of this country around the world, but the force's reputation and morale seem to have taken hit after hit in recent years. On Thursday, a blistering report was issued over the Mounties performance in the worst mass shooting in Canadian history, where a gunman executed 22 innocent people in Nova Scotia. The report found the force failed in almost every way. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino says they will do better going forward. We are committed to making the changes that are necessary, not only to mend the trust between the police and the community here in Nova Scotia, uh, but to ensure that this kind of tragedy never occurs again and so that we can keep all Canadians safe. Mike Duhame is the interim RCMP commissioner and he joins me now. Welcome to the program, Commissioner. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Mercedes. Glad to be here. I know you are out in Halifax where there is a hurting community and in many ways a hurting police force with the members who I've spoken to there. This tragedy has affected many people and and many Canadians watching it are concerned about the future of the RCMP. What would you say to reassure them about the direction of the force? Uh, Thanks, Mercedes. We have 30,000 plus employees that come to work every single day and the mandate that we have is to ensure the communities and the people of these communities are safe. And uh, I've been here as a commissioner for the last two weeks, and uh, I've met people here in Nova Scotia, and they eventually be going across Canada. And I'm always amazed at the dedication and professionalism of our members throughout the country. There are recommendations in this report uh, that echo previous reports. And and this is not the first time that the RCMP has had a truly tragic incident that has seen the loss of multiple lives. A lot of those reports and their recommendations don't seem to be implemented. Well, this won't be different. Well, I've committed uh, to the families, to the survivors, uh, to the victims' families, uh, to our employees and the members that I'm committed to go through the entire report and we will be following up on every recommendation there is. We do have a team that will be dedicated to ensuring these recommendations are actioned and the progress report will be published on an external website to which the people, the Canadians, Nova Scotians, can hold us accountable by looking at the progress that we've been making on these recommendations. Mind you, some recommendations are under, will be under my authority, within my mandate. The others, what we will be doing is looking at working with key partners, stakeholders, and making sure that uh, we progress with the recommendations that are not necessarily directly under my mandate. Uh, Commissioner Duhame, a lot of folks say the RCMP just can't continue being everything to everyone. I mean, your force has to do everything from issuing traffic tickets to the emergency response teams you were on that deal with firearms complaints to federal policing dealing with foreign interference, organized crime, drug trafficking, counterintelligence. Uh, The FBI in the U.S. is not out giving people traffic tickets. You have a limited number of people. Do you think that the force can continue to do contract policing, federal policing, municipal policing, and do them all well in light of what this report has revealed? Well, I think we always welcome the opportunity to review the structure that we have. Currently, the RCMP really has two specific mandates. One is a federal mandate, and the other one, as you can appreciate, is a contract mandate. And I understand there's some work being done currently just to look at the structure that we have in different provinces when it comes to our frontline policing work. Are you stretched too thin? I mean, I've talked to uh, folks who are posted with the RCMP in Nova Scotia, and they talk about, um, and I've spoken to people here in in O O Division, Ontario as well, people being flown in constantly to try to backfill, that there's simply not enough people. And if there were to be another incident like what happened in Nova Scotia in 2020 again today, it's not clear that the response 
would be different. Are you confident that the force could handle something like that? I realize that uh, the, the challenge with the resourcing is not one that's new. And of late, within the law enforcement community, there's less and less an appetite to join as a regular, as a police officer. But what we're doing is we're using the, the our current resources to make sure that they are mobilized and are, are looking at the, uh, the the immediate threat or the prioritizing the work that needs to be done. And yes, as you mentioned, there are some files for which uh, when people have special skill sets that we have to fly them in to assist on key files. For instance, I think about the visit of uh, the President Joe Biden when he was here a couple weeks ago. Uh, we had to fly in additional resources for that that had a skill set. Yeah, and I understand that with the President's visit, but my understanding this is this is normal uh, policing that the RCMP is already committed to, that there's there's not enough people for in Halifax. But I do want to change gears because I want to ask you a little bit about your previous portfolio. Just before you became commissioner, you were uh, the deputy commissioner for federal policing. Federal policing also is a very, very broad mandate, but it includes things like foreign interference from China. That's something the RCMP has been talking about and public safety has been talking about lately. Can you give us some insight from your time in that job about what you saw from China in terms of interference in Canada and what the the RCMP was doing about it? Well, the RCMP, uh, when it comes under the federal policing, the, our national security uh, program has the mandate to investigate any criminal activity when it falls into the foreign interference space, and we are actively engaged. We have several files that, uh, that, that we're pursuing. We've had success in some files. I think of uh, the file that we had in the province of Quebec, uh, where there was an individual working for Hydro-Quebec. We were successful in laying charges against this individual, and we have other files that are moving forward that we will be successful in laying charges. I'm curious to hear more about those charges because we heard the testimony at committee that the RCMP had managed to basically shut down these police stations that were set up by Beijing here. There was a few of them. But it's not clear to me if people were actually arrested or charged in that. Can you tell us if that's the case? Yeah, I can say, Mercedes, that the investigation is ongoing, and I encourage the people in those areas, such as Toronto and, and, and as well as Vancouver and the latest one in Montreal, uh, to come forward with information. And we've reached out. We uh, have our community engagement folks that are reaching out. Uh, we've uh, provided a, a number in which they can contact us. And if in doubt, they can always contact their police jurisdiction who will forward the information to the RCMP. Uh, and I appreciate the, the call for people to come forward, especially from these communities that are being targeted. But I'm curious to know if under the law you think you could charge people who are operating these police stations for China and Canada. Because one of the concerns has been, are the laws in place in Canada to actually criminalize some of this? Well, if you look at if there's any form of intimidation or harassment on the community itself, that's a charge in itself. So, again, we have uh, the, the, uh, our investigations are continuing in those matters. And uh, if we uh, gather enough evidence to lay the appropriate charges, we will do so. There's been some concern that the RCMP has said that they are investigating the leaks to media from CSIS uh, about what are some very sensitive uh, allegations and documents, but that they're not looking into the allegations that there was foreign interference in the elections. Why is it the RCMP is investigating the leaks but not the allegations of foreign interference? So I can confirm that we are investigating the leaks that stem from the, the services document. Uh, when I was before the Parliamentary Committee, I did mention that we did not receive any actionable intelligence. And when I mean, what I mean by actionable intelligence is uh, intelligence that can be used in a criminal investigation. And the intelligence that needs to be used in a criminal investigation must be uh, submitted in a manner that it is disclosable before the courts when we lay charges. 
Do you feel that CSIS has potentially stood in the way of that? Because I know talking to police officers in the past, one of the tensions has been between what they can actually get CSIS to share with them in a way that law enforcement can act, because intelligence and evidence, as you say, are two very different things. I don't think it's a source of tension, but it, it's there's there's two different ways of operating where the services are operating with the intelligence and we need the intelligence to be actionable from a criminal perspective. But it's been like that for 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 numerous years. There's been committees to look at how do we actually how do we bring intelligence into evidence that's ongoing. And and that's been that's been a sticking point for several years. But there's uh, there's teams that have been working on it to see how we can change that. Do you think that the RCMP has been too slow to respond about concerns of Beijing operating uh, in ways that are trying to influence Canada's democracy? I, again, uh, Mercedes, we operate in the criminal sphere. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the uh, other uh, departments would have in intelligence. They would probably have intelligence that sometimes I would never even see. But uh, where we're at, I only get it when it becomes in the criminal space. Would you like to see more laws on the books so that the RCMP would have more tools to actually be able to go after some of this? Because my understanding is that some of it's simply not criminal right now, so there's, there's not much the police can really do. Well, well, when you ask any police officers if we can have more laws, if we can have additional legislation that would ensure that it would assist us as we move forward, but also ensure that there's a safety of the public and, and the Canadians, I'd say yes, I'm favourable for that. I'm very supportive. Just quickly on gun control, how is the program going with trying to acquire the firearms that the government has now prohibited? Is the RCMP making any progress on that gun buyback program? There, there's still discussions with public safety on that. As you're aware, public safety has the policy piece on that, but we're working closely with, uh, with them. Um, one last question. I know you were in Haiti back in January. There's lots of discussion about Canada potentially having a mission going there. Uh, there's, uh, from my sources, I'm hearing a high possibility it could be the RCMP because they're talking about potentially training police. Do you think the force has the capacity to do that? So we've been working very closely with uh, the Haitian National Police. We actually have uh, increased our footprint in the area just to make sure that we have that uh, the uh, the communicate we have a line of communication with the director and ensure that we can assist in any which way we can uh, currently with the number of resources we have there. Commissioner Duhame, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's tough when you're the interim guy, but we appreciate the answers and sharing your morning with our viewers. Thank you. Communications giant Rogers is taking over Shaw in one of the biggest corporate mergers Canada has ever seen, valued at $26 billion. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne initially refused the deal, but now says the merger will be a watershed moment in lowering costs for Canadians who are currently paying some of the highest wireless prices in the world. That is, as long as the companies uphold their side of the bargain. And if Canadians do not begin to see clear and meaningful reduction in prices within a reasonable amount of time, I will have no choice but to seek further legislative and regulatory powers. Will the merger really mean lower bills for Canadians? The announcement comes after a week where the government pitched its consumer-friendly budget. Joining me now to answer some of these questions are two economists who know those answers. Armin Yelnizia from the Atch is an Atkinson Fellow of in the Future of Workers and Craig Alexander. He's the former chief economist at Deloitte as well as at TD Bank. And it's important to note before we start all of this that Shaw Communications and Chorus Entertainment, the parent company of Global News, are owned by the Shaw family based in Calgary. Uh, welcome both of you to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. 
Armin, let's start with you. We are hearing from the government and from these companies um, that we shouldn't be concerned about less competition, that it will in fact mean lower prices because of the contingencies and requirements that have been built in and, and punishments. There are sanctions here if, the, if uh, Rogers does not follow through and other companies. Are you confident that this is going to lead to lower cell phone bills? Well, the last time we tried this, we created Videotron, which was a small player in Quebec and has become a much bigger player and has now been given a chance to spread its lower cost structure to other parts of the country. So maybe that's the get. But generally speaking, you cannot deal with a country that has got three major players, maybe now a fourth one on the rise, that effectively colludes. You know, uh, Rogers, Tallison, Bell, not only own the infrastructure, they own the narrative because all these te telecoms own the way the news reports the news. And so they have been telling us for decades now that they're the only players in town. They're the only ones big enough to deliver the services. And yet they keep not delivering great infrastructure, particularly outside of the most profit-rich areas. So I'm not holding my breath to see lower prices anytime soon. And I don't think this deal does enough for consumers. Well, I will say no one tells the West Block what to say, which is why we're here today. But we want to talk about all of this. Craig, you know, you look around Canada and telecom's not the only area where we have just a few big players. I'm thinking about banking. Uh, I'm thinking about airlines. And, and this is a conversation that seems to be coming up more and more, that Canadians pay a lot more for some of these services, whether it's, it's telecom or whether it's plane tickets, than you do in other places in the world. Do you believe that that is a factor of lack of competition and, and just a few big players? I think market concentration has contributed to, to higher prices for a lot of different goods and services that Canadians consume. And I think that the, the Competition Bureau, when it stood up and said it was opposed to the Rogers and Shaw um, merger, was basically signaling its concerns about market concentration. And, you know, it goes beyond just, just the telco sector. Now, as you said, the companies have made a, a bunch of promises that if, if they actually made, make, make good on, would, would be positive for, for Canadians. They've made promises around expanding investment. They've made promises around uh, lower prices. But I have to say, a, a little like Armin, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, because we've, we've had a lot of mergers in this country where companies have made promises in terms of retaining jobs or expanding jobs or lowering prices or improving services. And, you know, the economic business history is filled with examples where companies haven't lived up to their side of the bargain. And then subsequent governments didn't hold them to, to task over the commitments they made. So I would say on paper, in terms of the message we're getting, it's, it's a positive one. And if, the, the what what is contracted materializes then then it's a good thing but you know i think you want to have a little bit of skepticism here in terms of of the delivery so we'll wait and see this was also a week, as we mentioned, where there was a budget that had a lot of little things that were clearly designed to deal with annoyances people have, but also some some big spending, some big programs. Armin, when you look at the budget, what are your takeaways for hits and misses? 
Well, gigantic miss on EI reform, which every economist in this country will tell you is on the menu for some time uh, over the course of the year. And weirdly, you know, they had this kind of throwaway line, $5.4 million in a budget that adds $46 billion over the next few years, $5.4 million on an item called work sharing. And that might be the shape of the new recession where people, employers in particular, are having so much trouble finding workers. They're not going to lay them off, but they will cut their hours. Now, the less hours of paid work plus higher costs is an affordability crisis already for millions of people uh, and bound to get worse. And there were crickets on that on that front. Instead, you know, it's what what um, Craig just said about on paper, this looks like great news. And there was this cheery tone about the best of times are yet to come in the budget. But it's like, what about the times we are in? We just went through the worst scorcher of inflation in 40 years and there's really a two and a half billion dollar measure of extra cash to help people out uh, who are the poorest. The people that make less have incomes of less than ten thousand dollars may get two hundred and thirty four dollars to help deal with inflation. It was just such a bizarre budget because, as you said, Mercedes, there was a lot of talk about how we deal with junk fees for Ticketmaster or for, you know, how we deal with uh, the aggravation we're facing at airports. Like these are aggravations. They're inconveniences. They're not a matter of hunger or homelessness. And on the homelessness front, there, were, there was absolute deafening silence on what we're going to do about the affordability crisis of rising rents when we're pouring more and more people into the rental market. I thought these were two huge misses in this budget and kind of inexplicable given that they said they were holding their powder dry. Isn't this the time to use their powder? And and on the powder, Craig, um, there were some big, big programs in there, but they were sort of saying at the same time this was almost an austerity budget by this government's history. Uh, But there's still questions about growth and about how we're going to pay for this. They did not um, decide to have taxes go up. The opposition's still not happy in saying that they they should have cut taxes. Um, Do you think the government achieved their goal of putting money into the economy without making inflation worse? And can they pay for the things that they're putting out there? So if you look at the size of the deficit that they are projecting going forward, um, they're not really adding materially to inflation um, relative to the path that we were already on. So, you know, as Armin said, you know, the the money that's going to go to uh, low-income Canadians, which they billed as a a grocery rebate that had nothing to do with grocery, it was – um, you know, a, an extension of a doubling of the GST credit um, that covers everything. Um, the, you know, that measure is two and a half billion dollars. It's not going to cause inflation. It's not going to change the Bank of Canada's thinking about, you know, the appropriate stance of interest rates. So, you know, if you if you judge the budget on, you know, is it is it not, you know, is is the government not contributing more to an inflation problem? The answer is. Yeah, it achieves that. But then when you look at the budget in terms of the, the measures inside of it, it's it's really concentrated. It's interesting. Some people would re- refer to this as a big budget and other people refer to it as a small budget. And it's a bit of both because it's it's got, you know, additional money for the healthcare sector, which we already knew about because the government had negotiated with the, the provinces and it was big news when, when that was done. Um, there was measures to uh, address... Um, the 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 fact that the United States is now providing massive subsidies to their 
uh, green energy and, and green economy sectors. And so the, the government of Canada felt that it needed to step up and um, compete with America in that, in that space. So they had to respond to that. And, and then there was the, the measure around uh, dental care, uh, particularly for, for Canadians that don't have it, like senior, some seniors and, and for kids, some kids. But outside of that, it was a long list of a lot of small measures, right? Which is what you were talking about. And when we look at the fiscal projection, the government has now changed its tune. It previously had said it would balance the books in five years. Well, they're not planning on balancing ever again. They're basically saying they're gonna run deficits for the rest of time. And so one of the things I'm worried about is if we get into a recession, which I actually think has a, a relatively high probability in the near term, the government's fiscal situation is going to get worse. They're going to be forced to provide stimulus once again to support the economy. And the, the government's fiscal situation is going to deteriorate, you know, significantly from where we are today. So this really wasn't a, a budget that I think was keeping the powder dry. And I think that we actually need to have an adult conversation in this country about about the, the programs that we're providing and the cost of them. Not that we need to cut back those investments. I think we need more investment in, in the care economy, but we need to do it fiscally responsibly. Okay, well, we have to wrap it up there because we're out of time, but I'm sure we're going to be back with the state the economy's in and much more to come on how this budget rolls out. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Now for one last thing. Late Thursday afternoon, news broke that a Manhattan grand jury had voted to indict Donald Trump. Trump will be the first former president in U.S. history to face criminal charges. He is expected to be arraigned on Tuesday. This will not be a case that is limited to the headlines or the justice system. The unprecedented moment in U.S. politics will have a profound effect on the 2024 presidential race and will test America's institutions. And as we all know, what happens in the United States has a ripple effect here in Canada for our politics, their polarization, and for our national debates. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back here next Sunday. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block.